HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week, New York City. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am your host, Joe Campanelli, and it is a gray, a cloudy, foggy day here in Brooklyn in Bushwick today. Um, makes me think of the hills of uh, Barola. We'll get well. We'll get to that later. Um, but before we get started, uh, if you do like In the Drink, you can always listen to us on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, dot com backslash in the drink you can listen to all of our past episodes we're nearing uh, 150 now which uh, blows my mind um or on itunes where you can subscribe and just get that uh kind of automatically uploaded uh, every time a new episode comes out um and if you like in the drink you can come visit me at one of our restaurants delanima lartuzzi anfora and lapicho um altalinia which was our uh Summer pop-up is now closed. Thanks to all of you who uh, joined us for a frozen Negroni this summer. Um, and I am uh, super excited today. Uh, this time of year makes me want to drink Barolo, my favorite wine in the world, made from the Nebbiolo grape. Um, we are, we've just gotten our white truffles into the restaurants from Alba. Uh, it is, uh, by all reports, an outstanding vintage for uh, for the wine, and not such a great vintage for the truffles, unfortunately. But maybe that that will change. And that being said, we have a Barolo producer in house today, um, and we're very excited to welcome uh, Raffaele Segesio from the Renzo Segesio Winery in Barolo. Welcome to the studio. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, and we also have from uh, from Vinaioli Selections, Kevin Hedges, who represents these wines. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Good to have you guys in the studio today. Um, truffles are on the mind, on my mind right now, actually. Um, is that true? I, that's what I've been telling our guests, that at least, uh, or at least our, our staff, that, that a, uh, a good Barolo vintage isn't always the best truffle vintage. Uh, have, you, have you experienced a, a good vintage for, for the wine so far? 
you should ask this to my uncle who usually went uh, goes out with uh, with his dog uh, to to find ruffles usually but uh, this year the the news are that uh, the quality is slowly increasing but the the quantity is less very low right and very but low. for the but for the wines uh nice dry fall yeah it was it was really a uh, hot vintage and but in the end we had some days of rain that uh, put it uh, everything in order and so actually we're quite satisfied yeah yeah the, the italian winemakers i've seen uh, who've been to to the market the last couple of weeks have generally had a big smile on it it's been a much uh it's been much more relaxed than last year at this time yeah well, we were a little bit scared about the weather in, in reality one month ago it was really hot and so we had uh, an increasing of the of the um, volume of alcohol, but uh, there was not so, so ripeness. Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, uh, we arrived at the good balance. So as I told you, we're really satisfied. That's and then right. I smile now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big radio smile. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, maybe you guys can tell, tell us a little bit about uh, this winery. Um, it is uh, on the smaller side. Uh, not that there are any super large Barolo producers, but uh, tell us the history of your family's winery. Yeah, um, my 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 family is is the winery and the <laughs> vice versa, in the sense that uh, I grew in the in the winery, but the foundation was made by my my father, officially because everybody in my region is producing wine from themselves. It's a sort of dish, and uh, everybody drinks uh, for during the during dinner and. Uh, so on, but uh, it was born officially in 1978 with uh, the first selection that my mother, my father operated uh, on the grapes uh, of uh, several of the best zones for the production of uh, Nebbiolo da Barolo in uh, in Piedmont uh, and in Montfort, the, our village. We're speaking about uh, a really small production. We're a niche of production. Mm -hmm. It's uh, our wineries produce medially from fifty thousand to sixty thousand bottles per year, and uh, we are the owner, one of the the only owner, one of the best crew for the uh, the production of uh, the Nebbiolo da Barolo. It's called uh, Payana, and it's part uh, a, one of the best part of the Ginestra Valley. That uh, with the Busia, it's considered one of the best for Barolo. T and tell us why what makes Payana so special. Um, and then, Kevin, I'd love to hear from you like, when you're describing these uh, these crews to people who are who are buying them. Um, I even find like I I still have so much to learn about the different crews of Barolo and especially the single vineyards and, and how they express. But tell us first about about Payana. Payana is uh, one of the best expression of long aging Barolos. This is the valley between the, the two villages of uh, Monforte and the Serralunga. This is, uh, the, the soil is white because it's clay, marnus, marni, and uh, it was the, the sea, sea bottom, the sea bed, uh, and we find the shells making our works. That uh, this characteristic with the microclimate and the way we manage the, the vintage uh, allows us to produce barolos that are really, really, really long aging. They start with the structure, really, really important structure, uh, a lot of tenacity, and uh, at the beginning they, they seem 
a little bit uh, coarse, a little bit uh, strong, but uh, the time uh, uh, makes this this wine really, really, really complex, really important. Yeah, yeah. I find when I'm I'm speaking with guests, it is uh, it, it's rare that I get into those those specifics. Whereas maybe if we were talking about Burgundy, like they would be much more into it. And it's more when I'm speaking with winemakers or my other. Uh, Smalley friends that w- maybe we we talk more about. Do you find that buyers are are asking you questions about the cruise, and that is something that is important when de- making their buying determination? Do you feel like you need to study up on those when when you go out? Um, definitely, I think it's um, important to to sort of get a feel for the the differences. I mean, Payana is within Ginestra, and if you just even compare it to to some bottlings which are just labeled as Ginestra side by side you can find it quite different um really it's just on the other side of a hill but the the difference is amazing yeah those expositions in piedmont are so so important you can have the same hill and have three different grapes on on one hill just depending on where you know where it gets more sun yeah, it's uh, the the great complexity is b- first of all based on the fact that we we live on a soil that is complex. Uh, Lange means uh, in uh, in Italian tongue. Uh, these are these tongues of the land that rise up, uh, rise up uh, in uh, ancient uh, periods, and uh, this movement of the of the soil uh, uh, made a lot of variability. And that uh, you can find uh, in the in the square kilometers, the ground uh, is uh, red for the presence of uh, a lot of iron, mm-hmm. then clay, then uh, um, sandy, and so it's really really difficult to find uh, the same characteristic in the in a, in a so small village, a small place. It's uh, one of the the, the factors that uh, change. In the end, uh, we have the weather, how you manage uh, the, the the intention of the producer. So it's impossible to find the same wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's en- why we're endlessly in- complex. Uh, I love. Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time studying the Masnagetti maps, but yeah. I I still. Um, do not feel expert at all, yeah. uh, even after looking at them for so much, so many times. Yeah, Masnagetti made a great, really great work. Yeah, I, I told it, uh, it to him because uh, it's uh, it's a friend of us, and because uh, uh, he went directly uh, winery to winery to, and uh, he based his uh, investigation on the on the past experience that uh, and uh, asking people old men sitting at the bar of the village uh, what is the best place in your opinion to to produce uh, barolo and it's the base because uh, the the knowledge is uh, our first uh, step yeah and during your first steps going back to when you were a kid i mean saying to me that you're born in barolo uh, in Monforte. In Monforte. I'm sorry. A, a that's a big different struggle crew. between Monforte and Barolo villages. All right, well, <laughs> within the appellation of Barolo. Yeah. Uh, uh, to me, and especially you know, in Monforte, one of the great areas for extremely high quality wine, it just sounds like such a dream like to, to be born into a family that has Barolo vineyards. Wow, like what could be better than that? Um, but did you ever think that you know, your life was not going to be uh, around wine and uh, or was your father always you need to be involved in some way at least with the winery yeah but my father preferred to to give us the me and my brother because I have my brother Federico too working also around the winery 
um, wanted to to admit us to to have our instruction, and then uh, we so that's why I'm uh, I'm a doctor in medicine. I told you, I'm an abdominal surgeon, and uh, my my brother is an engineer. He's an astronaut, astronautic. I don't know how you say it. It's uh, aerospaziale. We, we say in Italy. And um, but uh, since for, from when we were kids, uh, we, we we worked directly into the mm. winery. For the first, uh, my first uh, uh, thought is when uh, we, I started to put capsule on the on the bottles, putting labels because we were making it by hand. And uh, in the end, we we learned everything, uh, assisting my father and uh, slowly making by ourselves yeah that's right Raphael. you're telling me before we got started and uh uh i think we i'd love to share that with the guests like what what is your typical day like to be both a surgeon and also spend so much of your day at the winery yeah i i wake up quite early <laughs> in the morning <laughs> and uh i i wash very very well my hands yeah. and uh make a surgical operation and uh, when my turn is finished, when around uh, two o'clock in the, in the afternoon, I go into the into vineyards. I work or directly into the winery. Obviously, there is uh, other persons working with me. There is uh, Gianfranco, my father, first of all, because my father is the boss and the mind of everything. But uh, Gianfranco is a guy who works with us, and then we have seasonal people working for us. It's nice. Is there anything from your life at the winery that is beneficial to your life as a as a surgeon? And is there anything uh, that you've learned as a surgeon that can help you out in the winery? Is there any overlap there at all? <laughs> I can say that uh, I am. I learned. Uh, I I apply something from vineyards into surgery. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you have to you have to understand how to do, move your hand. When when you make the same movement for a lot of times, you you learn the the property of the movement. Uh, when you make uh, works uh, directly with uh, with the the, the 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 plant with the vines, uh, you repeat a lot of time the same the same movement, uh, and that uh, concentrate you. It's a sort of Zen movement of your of your mind. It's. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's amazing. I imagine in surgery, your movements are so finite and minuscule and tiny. And in winemaking, they're much grander. Uh, it isn't. Because uh, when in vineyards, the movement have to be really, really, you have to be careful about, about what you do. Because when, uh, for example, when you prune, when uh, you you tie the, the, the vines, if you make a mistake, uh, it's for the wall here. So you have to be careful about what you do. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And on that, on that note, uh, we are going to take actually just a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, with Kevin Hedges from Vinaioli Selections and Raffaele Segesio from the winery uh, Renzo Segesio in Barolo right after this.
Cider Week helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Hi, this is Dave Arnold from Cooking Issues, and I'm here to talk to you about the Museum of Food and Drink, which is finally getting a brick-and-mortar space right here in Brooklyn, New York. So the Museum of Food and Drink is opening the MOFAD Lab, our first laboratory and gallery space, where we will be putting on an exhibition called Making It or Faking It, the history of the flavor industry. It tackles a very important uh, topic, which is how the food system got to be the way it is now. Uh, as a result of the intervention of the flavor industry, how that happened. Get your tickets at tickets.mofad.org to come see the first exhibit ever of the Museum of Food and Drink at the MoFad Lab, brought to you by Infinity on 62 Bayard Street. All right, and we are back on In the Drink with uh, Segesio Winery, um, and that is, just to clarify, Renzo Segesio, and not the Segesio in California that makes uh, Zinfandel, I believe, or Fratelli Segesio, which is a winery right across the hill uh, that's making, I would say, slightly more modern wines um, than uh, than the Renzo Segesio. But um, this is Renzo Segesio Winery, delicious, uh, delicious wines in the Payana um, crew uh, within Ginestra in uh, near Monforte. Uh, Kevin, if you're going to uh, position these wines and you're going to tell people who've never had Segesio before, like, how do you explain like where these wines fit into the world of uh, Barolo? Well, I mean, Monforte d'Alba, Barolo usually, I mean, is generalized as a little more muscular and maybe darker toned fruit and balsamic. Um, but I think his wines really strike a beautiful balance of having some of those characteristics, but then such a finesse about them and not, not over the top, not overdone. Um, uh, very traditional style, so you're not getting a lot of oak influence, even though they they do age four, sometimes five years in in large barrel. Um, but I just think that it's it's what I love about Barolo. It's it's that that power, but that grace. Yeah. And now, you know, I do. I did mention that uh, the the word modern, and I know that's something that in the past had been a the idea of a modern versus a traditional Barolo had been a highly contentious debate. Um, and what what I keep hearing now is that the differences are, are lessening, that maybe the more modern producers are laying off the new oak and making, uh, maybe using more sustainability in the vineyards, that sort of thing. And the more traditional producers are cleaning up their act. Is that is that accurate? How would you kind of, uh, would you characterize yourself as modern or traditional? Or are there better words for that? And is that debate still a robust debate? And I'd love to hear your opinion on that as well, Kevin. 
What what I have to say, I don't want to to put myself into a character absolutely because uh, I I I think that I not uh, belong to a character absolutely. I think that modernism is useful because uh, it was really tiring working the the our hills uh, and in the past and uh, it's. Uh, my grandfather would uh, would use uh, everything we can use now to to simplify the the work it is absolutely a good thing but uh, the problem is that we the a lot of producers started to to seduce the market with a wine that was not typical and it was not uh, our uh, our expression the expression of our soil the the base was uh, the the big struggle was the barrique in the end because uh, the exasperation of this uh, testing test of barrique was uh, was the main uh, the main characteristic of mm-hmm. uh, of this modernism. Um, our Barolo doesn't need nothing. Barolo and other wines that we produce on the soil of the Barolo, the Barbera, the Nebbiolo, and so on. Uh, don't need nothing more. We have a complexity of a test, of shant, of structure, of a body that uh, it's uh, incredible. And uh, the amalgamation is uh, the, the worst uh, mistake that uh, we can we can make because uh, our typicity, it's our uh, proudness and our uh, our power, mm-hmm. our possibility in the world. Yeah, and I think a lot of people focus on oak because it has that ability to um, overpower some of the the fruit or terroir flavors, right? It's it's such a small part of the of the whole story, but it's such a, a focal point for so many that I find that even myself, it, it's one of the first questions I ask when I taste Barolo. Unfortunately, is what kind of oak are you using? How are you aging it? Um, how much, you know, what percentage is new and, and all of that. Um, but, but that's something I appreciate about your wines is that uh, you don't pick up the oaky flavors at, at all and you let the, the terroir just, just shine through. Um, but it is. Do, do, do people in Barolo actually discuss, the, use the terms modern and traditional, or is that something that outsiders kind of used to oversimplify what's going on actually also innovators uh, are coming back uh, made a u-turn and uh, they are coming back to to the traditional because the yeah. they understood that uh, it's also less expensive because <laughs> it's <laughs> really expensive to <laughs> to to have a barriques and so on but uh to use the newest technology and use barriques. But from what I understand, though, um, organic viticulture is actually much more expensive than... It is. It's, you know, it's much easier. It's less labor to just spray some stuff and get it, out of there. You have a lot of work more to do with the organic. Because, uh, for example, you have to make... Uh, we may make uh, these herbs by, by hand and uh, mechanical herbs and not with, with the chemical product. And this way you have to, to go directly and uh, to cut uh, the grass with with the machines uh, and it takes a lot of time and time is really important because you when you are a family winery your time is important you don't have so many people working with you and you have to do a lot of the work by by yourself and uh, also we we try to to not spray if it's not necessary we all only use oligo elements copper sulfur mm-hmm. and so on and uh, uh, also in into the cellar we use uh, we use sulfites, but uh, uh, less than half the quantity is allowed. 
because it's it's necessary for this wine to use sulfite. Yeah, yeah. And Kevin, are you finding that people are are still discussing modern and traditional? Um, uh, I, I I know that I do when I when I talk uh, with our guests and and with our staff, but I, I feel like maybe I'm becoming old fashioned. No, I, I definitely hear those terms thrown around. I'm, you know, catching myself. I'm, I think it's less and less about you know modern traditional and what is you know what wines are balanced and, and drinkable and you know I I have no problem with with a little bit of oak you know as long as it's it's in balance and you're you're still getting the story of of what the grape and the land is about. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And Rafael, in terms of uh, the the sustainability in your in your vineyards, um, you were telling me before that when it was first started, any any sort of technology, anything that would make life easier, um, was accepted. But it sounds like you're starting to make some changes um, to kind of lessen the amount of the chemicals that you might use in the vineyards. I told you before that we live directly in the middle of our vineyards, mm-hmm. so it's for our <laughs> our safe our your own health. health. Yeah. yeah, so I I I think that the future is to move completely to organic. Organic doesn't mean to to go with the to go into vineyards with, with the you have to to use the technology that is safe. Not the technology that hurts you. It's obvious. You don't. Uh, you don't have to to do nothing that uh, can hurt you and uh, your customers in yeah. the end. And as someone who has a, a medical degree and works in the medical profession, can you confidently <laughs> say that uh, and uh, a a wine that is organic is more helpful for the drinker uh, as well? Are there traces of pesticides and? agrochemicals left in the wine after the winemaking process for the people who absolutely are, yes. absolutely i can say that uh, in the end uh, the the the, the grape uh, can uh, can uh, concentrate the this product because they are in the soil because we we spray directly in the on the soil when uh, we we don't use it but uh, we uh, a lot of people is making treatments directly at the bottom of the vines and uh, we spray in the hair. We we make uh, and in the end uh, there is the process uh, of uh, of crushing that m- mix uh, everything uh, there is on the on the skin of the of the clusters directly into the wine. So it's difficult to say it's it's clean. It's completely clean. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you for verifying, and now I feel even better about drinking more sustainably produced wines. I yeah. just felt good about but hearing from a doctor, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> that being said, uh, I'm excited to taste what's in the glass in front of us. Um, what, what have you brought for us? Barolo, 2008, Reserve. Wow. This, uh, this is really a big man, with big old man, with uh, elegant man who's... Uh, I have something to say for the next uh, 10 years, I think. This is beautiful. I've, so 2008 is maybe the youngest vintage that we're really showing at our restaurants now because Barolo is such a, a wine that needs so much, so much age. Um, how would you describe this vintage? 
the 2008. Yes. 2008 was like liberated by the we- by the weather first of all, and uh, when the weather is there's equi- equilibrium since from the beginning, you can obtain the 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 structure and the elegance and uh, it's everything at the right place. You don't have too much alcohol that hurts you. It's not a and hot wine. It's a a wine that uh, has uh, 14 degrees uh, enough, but. Uh, in the end, uh, you don't feel the alcohol. You feel only these uh, velvety tannins uh, that uh, wash your mouth, uh, very long in mouth. And, uh, the typicity of this wine are this, uh, this complexity of testings that are, starts from, uh, from dry flowers, uh, mostly licorice, uh, tobacco, leather, goudron, a little bit of uh, menthol too yeah. in the end. Yeah. Uh, the texture is what's really blowing me away. It has a very classic, complex nose, but the f- there, there's a lot of tannin, but they're so fine and supple. Uh, At the beginning, a single bottle can, may explode because <laughs> it's really <laughs> concentrated. But uh, in the end, uh, in the end, they get they go really, really smoother. And uh, it's the complexity. It's difficult for us to present our wines on the normal market. We are always late on the market because uh, we exit late because we bottle later than uh, other wineries. Mm. And uh, <coughs> we, we, we want to say to our customers, and this is a possibility, <laughs> speaking by radio, you have to, to give times to, to time to, to this wine because uh, it will pay. That will pay. And is this the current release on the market right now, 2008? Yeah, it's um, quite at the the end. At the end of it, Reserva Payana. And do you make the Reserva every vintage? No, 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 absolutely. We're only in the the, the vintage. We believe uh, they can support the, Mm -hmm. the aging. 2009, no? 2009 was too too fast. Too it's hot. A really, really great wine, but uh, as is uh, more approachable than yeah. this one. And it's running. And so we prefer to, to sell it directly without making reserve. 2010, for sure, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everyone's so happy. Actually, right? our 2010 uh, is bottled, but... Uh, we suggest to not drink it into at least six months. Wow. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is great. And if you, if you can still get your hands on the 2008, I definitely would. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you both in the studio today. Um, this kind of cold, foggy weather just makes me think of, you know, th- think of, per- of Barolo, of Piedmont. And uh, y- your wine is just absolutely beautiful. So, uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Joe. Thanks. And yeah, and look out, guys, for uh, Vinaioli. They have lots of uh, delicious wines. Um, we've had some other Vinaioli producers on the show, like Bruno de Conchilis. Um, and I think we have a few more lined up as well. So yeah, look out for those episodes in the future. Um, thanks so much uh, to all of you guys for listening. Uh, this has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.